are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Welcome back to another episode of Call for Caring's The Empowerment Hour. My name is Michelle Bolden, and I am your guide as we journey through caregiving together. Our inspirational empowerment hour um, intends to inspire, educate, and give family caregivers resources that they can use immediately after listening to the podcast. During episode or season three, we would like to hear from you. So please share your areas of interest and for future episodes by first subscribing and then adding comments even to today's episode. So we're gonna talk about today about alternative types of support for those with dementia. The National Library of Medicine says the majority of people living with dementia live in the community. About 75% of these individuals are receiving care from family and friends. These caregivers are often seen as the invisible patients. So what are our options in caring for those with dementia and supporting them as caregivers in the community? Our topic today is alternatives to dementia care. We are joined today by Dr. Fayron Epps, an advocate, researcher, and professor who is here today to share her wealth of knowledge with our audience. Welcome, Dr. Epps. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So glad to be here, Michelle. Absolutely. We're excited to have you and to learn about all the things that you're doing in this space. So can you share your background and your current work? Yeah. So um, first and foremost, foremost, I am a registered nurse. I've been a nurse for over about 20, 21, 22. I've been a nurse for about 23 years, uh, originally from Louisiana, and I relocated to Atlanta about seven and a half years ago. And then in my current role, I'm an associate professor of nursing at Emory University. And what I do there, I don't spend too much time in the classroom. I spend more time in the community, teaching the community. Um, raising, spreading dementia awareness, particularly in the Black community, and creating programs and interventions and education to support these families on their journey. Love it. That is amazing. And that's absolutely what we need is that support right in the community. And also to teach those who will eventually teach others. So our young nurses, because now we need to kind of transform what we're doing in the hospital more into the community, right? And so we need to be able to teach our nurses, new nurses, how to do that. This new way of functioning in the community. Community, yes. And so, like I said, I'm not in the classroom, but students do are on my team where I bring them in the community so they can see this because it's quite right. different than being in an acute care setting or a That's hospital. Right. Um, and it's thinking quick on your feet. <laughs> so you just don't think quick on your feet in the in the ICU. It's also right. in the community, right? right. Um, right. And so yes, I'm I'm glad to be able to share that experience with them. So can you share a little bit about what has been most revealing about the research that you have conducted uh, regarding uh, related to dementia? I think um, I will tell you this. When I started off in this field and getting my PhD, um, I was focused on family caregiving. 
Mm-hmm. And I looked at religiosity and I finished, you know, they said, okay, you finish your PhD, but no one is interested in religiosity, spirituality. You won't get funding. You won't get support. You know, you won't have a career with that. And so I initially listened. And when I started working and um, doing interviews with Black families, mm-hmm that was on this dementia journey, mm-hmm. it came up in every single interview, their faith, mm-hmm. religious practices, spirituality. And that's when I realized I can't ignore this, no matter right. what mainstream America may say right. um, in the university setting or wherever I'm working. This is something I can't ignore. If I want to truly help um, these families, my family, right? This is something I I, I can't ignore. And it has been just threaded throughout. Religiosity is just so strong within the Black community. And and it has supported them on this journey in different ways, right? Um, Sometimes, you know, they using it to cope, uh, but also for that person living with dementia, that has also um, been a main factor. And I had one caregiver tell me, my mom is here this long because of her faith. Mm. Um, whereas they have watched many people, you know, our white counterparts that maybe get diagnosed with a form of dementia, usually Alzheimer's disease. And in a couple of years, or they're progressing, you know, maybe quickly. Quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quickly. And so, you know, and she said, my mom has been here uh, to see him come and go. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, she really uh, attributed that to her mother's faith, her strong, mm-hmm. strong, strong faith. Wow. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I love that, um, you know, while you try to play in the sand with everyone else, you realize that just didn't meet a need. And so that's what we often have to do in the community, especially when you just talked about acute care, we kind of follow the trends of things that have been in the past. But when you're in the community, you really need to customize everything you do individually for that family, right? And so it's not just what everybody does, but it's to meet the needs of that family. And so if religion and faith is important to that family, then that's the curve that we need to take in order for them to survive. And longevity, you know, and and I just from practice as a nurse for over 30 years, I can see that there is truly um, the the um, importance of religion and treating the heart. And I don't mean physically the heart, just the cholesterol and things, but I mean a true heart. People can truly die of a heartbreak. And so we really need to realize the importance of what makes the heart function um, and survive is spirit and faith. And all those things are just so important in a component. And so as um, healthcare providers, we have to look at the entire realm of a being and not just those physical things sometimes. So I think that's awesome. Yes, yes. And when I go out and I do presentations, not just to the, to the community, but when I do presentations to my colleagues and scientific conferences, that is what you just said is what I want them to understand. You know, treating a family as a whole and then recognizing if someone's faith is important to them, spending time there and including that in the plan of care. Yes, absolutely. So can you talk a little bit more about the ALTER program? Sure. And so out of what I was just speaking about, um, Bert, the ALTER program is where we partner with Black faith communities. Um, Again, I mentioned through my research, it kept on coming up how important someone's faith is. 
um, how important uh, the church, the church itself and the church is more than just the sermon and the pastors, the church families, that fellowship, just all of that. How important that is. And many families, um, they had some with strong support from the ch their church family. Then they had others that experienced church hurt when they did have a diagnosis of um, dementia for their family or friend that they felt the church just turned their back on them. Didn't understand, stopped coming to pick up their mother. Um, or they, again, felt ashamed and didn't feel comfortable bringing their their family member or friend to, to the church or the faith community. And so um, this is where we got altered. You know, I was like, what can we do? What can we do? So we started off with education and, and we know education is great. But I realized I was just educating and then walking away. Mm. And I was leaving it up to the congregation to um, come up with their way of how to apply that education. Right. And I had to think, you know, Michelle, wait, first of all, we don't even talk about this. So I'm coming to educate you and then I walk away. And you, you still probably don't have a great understanding right. about it. And then how in the congregation, what do you do with this? You know, and so that's when, you know, a bishop did call me out. And he was like, so what am I supposed to do? And I say, you're right. And so we went to the table and we created a framework that we now call alter. And it's for us to all overall just alter our perception, alter our understanding, alter our attitude toward dementia in the Black community, in particular in the Black faith community. Because mm -hmm. we know there's a lot of um, a lot of judging going on. <laughs> Uh, in a lot of our faith communities. And so this is just what we want to alter that perception. And we come in and we equip our faith communities with the knowledge, the resources, the tools that they need to better support their parishioners and their community at large. Mm -hmm. And so that is going beyond just giving, providing education or giving them avenues to receive education. It's also working with them, coaching them to do, create supportive programs mm -hmm. such as support groups, respite programs, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. caregiver self-care programs. Mm -hmm. You know, um, also we discuss worship. You know, that is a, is a big component. You know, how do we uh, modify our worship services? How do we create a worship experience that would benefit not just that person living with dementia, but also that caregiver that is multitasking, that has so much going on in their right. place. And oftentimes the person living with dementia falls back from um, church or religious practices, but also that caregiver, because they don't find that time right. to do devotion and maybe, you know, worship and putting, putting, the, putting the TV on and, <laughs> and just having it play, you know, on the gospel station and things like that. I mean, sometimes that can go on and on, but then you become numb to that. Right. Right. When you just right. have something on in the background. And so we work with faith communities um, basically to, to create these dementia friendly environments, dementia mm. friendly congregations. And um, I think, like you said, Michelle, it's meeting a need. When I started this, um, we said we're going to pilot it. I didn't know how this was going to work. You know, bringing something to the Black faith community, I just didn't know. <laughs> either, either way. That's right. 
And so I was like, I just want a couple, couple of faith communities that I can work with. And um, at the most, it was going to be 20, 24 faith communities over five years. Mm-hmm. Here we are in the, um, in our four and a half years, we're in 70 faith communities. Wow. In state. So that just showed me again, when you, when you're meeting a need. Right. That's right. People, they see it. They, they won't, they won't, right. they won't right. it. That allows for growth and expansion. Expansion, yeah. Um, that's out of my control. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's God's um, work. At that point, you have yeah, nothing to is. do with it that. It is you know? God's right. work, and I think that's where we are right now. We are um, traveling around the country internationally, trying to really meet the needs and do God's work, um, just to make sure that these families, those families that have that strong faith background, that. Um, that they can go back and lean on their faith community as right. it comes to when they're on this journey. So right. we know in the black community, um, we may not have access to many resources and supportive programs. And it does not matter what your economic background is, mm-hmm. socioeconomic, does not matter what your education level. I've worked with many families and guess what? At the end of the day, they don't have access. That's right. Or they don't, don't understand to how, to, how to go. Where yep. to start? Exactly. That's it right. does not matter, you know. Right. And so if I can equip our faith communities with these resources, at least they, they can feel comfortable and say, you know what, I can start here. Mm-hmm. And then each faith community, they, there's an ambassador that we train, we put them through different things, we give them access to certain things so they can be there to support that family. And if they can't support them, we're the backup. Right. What we can help and find resources for them. And so um, I think that's what uh, I think. No, I know that's what we're doing with the altar program is just trying to create these resources in these communities so families um, can access them. But also if they're not comfortable going into a hospital or clinic, uh, hopefully they feel comfortable going to their their pastor going mm-hmm. to their their church their church family to get resources mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's awesome now you said 14 different states what are the country oh so ghana we was in ghana um in may and so we partnered with the ame zion church there mm. and so we traveled in several of the different um regions um going to the ame zion church providing some awareness with them and so again it does not matter where we stay y'all right That's, it we the same disparities exist yeah. over there that we have here um this lack of knowledge same thing yeah. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, now, you know, their services and the support that they have is not what we, you know, is it's not to the level that we may have over here. Um, but they they need these, they need this, and they depend on the their church for everything. Mm. Everything. Um, everything. Wow. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. That is so amazing. I know your heart is just overwhelmed with where this is taking it itself. I mean, it's just taking itself to a whole new path that you never imagined. And that's just from the seed of maybe I should do this regardless of what people say, right? Maybe I should do this. And here it is 
14 states, 70 plus churches later in other countries. That's amazing. I yeah, it, it is. It. And, you know, I spoke, I, I go, so anybody that's listening, I do go out to faith communities, not just in Georgia, everywhere. And I was in Texas this past weekend and I spoke for 10 minutes during the worship service. So number one, that's a win. Because when pastors recognize how important this is mm -hmm. and they allow you to speak on a Sunday or they speak or they allow you to speak right. about dementia, about right. caregiving support and right. resources for these families, that's right. when. And when I spoke, um, we asked the question, how many families have been impacted by dementia? Mm. More than 75% of the individuals in the packed congregation raised their hand. Wow. And, and the pastor probably had no idea that it that's the thing. They knew a couple of people. Yeah. yeah. A couple. Yeah. Um, and so now they're doing an assessment. But afterwards I met some people. I, I met one of the um the faith leaders came up to me and said, I've just been diagnosed. Like mm. this is real. I met someone else. He said, I have dementia and I need you to help my wife. He he recognizing right, everything right. that his wife is doing for him and how she's not taking care of herself mm -hmm. and getting the support that she needs for her to stay on this journey. Like it was just so, so impactful. And, you know, there's people there. I mean, they was just waiting for someone to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just waiting. waiting. Just waiting. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a community, we don't tend to talk about this. This is just something we deal with ourselves. So we don't share it with our neighbor who's probably been next to us for 20 years and they don't understand what's going on in the house. And literally they could walk next door and just assist us for an hour or two hours, but we just don't share. And so that's awesome that you're walking in a church, you're opening the door to communicate because now this has changed the entire environment of that church where they're beginning to have conversation. Not probably only about dementia, but other caregiving issues that are going on, right? Because it's not other things are going on uh, that re require caregiving. And so um, that opens a whole new opportunity for that church to support their commission, their um, community um, that they didn't even know existed. So I, I, I think that's amazing. Yeah, it is. And, and they are one of our altar church partners. Okay. So this was just perfect. It was the launch to let the congregation, mm -hmm. congregation know what's going on. And as part of our partner, we provide them with a, a coach, someone to guide them. Um, someone asks, what, what makes this stand apart? And it's not just the financial support that we give our faith communities. We do provide them financial support, but it's also we hold them accountable. Mm. So, you know, if we say you're going to do this, we are following this, this roadmap, right? Mm -hmm. We're right. checking in with you. And I think that really stands up because many times, you know, you may bring a program to the church and you may be there and then you're gone and you leave it up to the church to do things. Mm -hmm. We're right there with them. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm saying we're nagging them, but it's for a good cause, right? right. Um, but we want to make, we're holding them accountable. They said they're going to do these things. They want to be committed. We are right there to make sure that they are implementing and it's 16 initiatives that they have to implement over two mm. years, which oh, wow. could be overwhelming, but we are right there with them okay, uh, and connected them, connecting them to other organizations. And many times our faith communities may come together mm -hmm. work as a, a group to get some of these things done, which is, which is even better. 
Mm-hmm. Now, so we t- kind of talked about caregiving in this whole realm. So let's talk a little bit about your new initiative, Caregiving While Black. Yes, yes. And so Caregiving While Black, um, this came this came out during the, the beginning of the pandemic, uh, where I was just attending a lot of Zoom meetings, uh, webinars, different classes that they had online. And I started noticing that uh, Black caregivers were being quiet. They weren't as vocal mm-hmm. as some of the other caregivers. I would be reading the chat. And then mm-hmm. I have caregivers tell me themselves that, Hmm, that was good, Dr. Epps. That education you said was good, but mm, it just didn't speak to me. Mm. What I go through every day. And that really made me pause and reflect. You know, many times we just think caregiving is caregiving, but we don't bring in, um, look at it through the lens of race or the color of someone's skin and what additional challenges or unique experiences that brings to the table. That culture. It's a, yes. it's, a mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It's, it's it's different. And, you know, we have to address those realities of, of being black, you know, um, a person's identity, you have to bring all of those, all every, what you bring to the table, all of that intersects and that influences your experience. And so, yeah, you're a caregiver, you're black, you could be a daughter, you could be a spouse, you know, whatever that is, that all comes together and we have to address that. And so caregiving programs, I really feel are not a one size fit all, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, those general programs are great. They give you an ideal, but with caregiving while black, we're really trying to dive into some of those cultural taboos that exist in the black community while educating mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. how to manage your home life what things we need to put in place, right? We brought in the the attorney. Let's talk about this stuff that we don't talk about. Right. Or that we just don't understand. Right. 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 I learned a lot. Because still, even though I've been on this field, there's a lot of things I didn't go. That's right. My my JD or become a lawyer. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, and then how to navigate that healthcare system. Again, even though I'm a nurse, when I put this, when we put this course together, and we brought in healthcare professionals to give tips to the black caregivers. I learned. Mm-hmm. That's right. Like, oh, that's what the doctor want when I walk in the door. <laughs> that's how we're gonna manage these fifteen minutes that they have allotted right. for us. Right. You know. And then um, our last module is about self care. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, Michelle, you, you talk about this a lot, and you had a series. But many caregivers, they're so focused on the person that they're caring for, they let themselves go. That's right. Emotionally. And and we spend time to kind of speak on that. And we give our our caregivers tools um, that they may not known how to exist. You know, Mm -hmm. a feeling will, just certain things that's out there and show them how they use it. Um, So I do, that is the new initiative. um, And I'm excited about it. I wish I can. It's part of a study right now. Okay. And I can tell you all, I wish I can just put it all out there. But, <laughs> you know, I am a researcher, a scientist, and they're like, you got to show evidence. Show evidence. Right. That's right. Yeah. So we did our pilot study last year, and it did show that it did improve with a uh, role strain. Okay. Um, and depression. And so that was just a small number. And so we're going to uh, 
have a larger number. So we're looking for 140 caregivers now to give us feedback and to participate. And okay. then that allow us then to open it up and have it scaled out to anyone because it's an online course. So you don't, you can be okay. and Okay. Um, so it. how many are you still looking for to meet that 140? 100. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So, so anybody's listening, call to action. We got a call to action to our audience that we're looking for a hundred others to participate in this amazing program that allows for you to be able to learn how to care for your loved one and support yourself. And so one of the things that I, I try to talk about is this cycle of caregiving that we get into. We go through all these phases and the last phase is self-care. And so we have to begin to infuse that in every phase of caregiving because we get to that point where we're burnt out, we're sick, and sometimes we pass before our loved ones. So we want to be able to fix that. This program could be an opportunity for you to be able to do that. Learn how to change your habits so that you have longevity for yourself and your loved one. So listen in. At the end of this, we're going to tell you how you can find out about more about the Caregiving While Black program. Right, Dr. Epps? Yes, we right. will. We will. Right. And Michelle, I want to back up. There's two things that you had mentioned. One of them just now about many times caregiver pass before their family member or friend. Um, and if or if they don't pass, they become acutely ill. You know, we had a I had a wife and she was caring for her husband. Everything was focused. It was, and it was it was a lot. Right. Because it was a lot of denial in the beginning with her kids and her husband. And so that just took a lot of energy from her and come to find out she had a brain tumor that was so advanced. But it something she just ignored. Yeah. You know, and this is it's just not on her. It's on the whole family now. Right. So now right. it's even the 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 children. You know, there was a lot of denial in the beginning, but now they have to wait, look at this. And now they have to support their father and mother, their mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are the, you know, it's really self-care is really, really important. And then the other piece you, Michelle, you spoke about um, how many times we, we next door neighbor may be on this journey with dementia and we have no clue. And I just have a, um, a testimony for you all. Um, when I first started doing this work in my research and I was looking for black families that um, were on this journey and I started just talking to my friends about this. And one of my good, good friends was like, oh, yeah, I'm a caregiver for my mom. She has Louie body. <laughs> and, I, and we had been friends for 10 years, karate, festivals, parties, house parties, just everything we did together. Wow. And I did not know. And it's not like she didn't bring her mom around. Right. But right. for those who know Louis body, it presents a little different. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not truly the, the memory that is um, primarily affected. It's the hallucinations and things like that. And so um, I had no clue. But it was not until I said what I was doing in research and that she came, she didn't talk about it. Wow. She just did it. No. Yeah. And then I think back how many times I could have helped her. Yes. Working, having a family and things like that. I could have waited and checked in on her mom yeah. or yeah. Her that I was available. So it is so important. There's so many people we may say, oh, I don't know no one. A lot of faith leaders say, oh, I don't have anybody in my congregation. Uh, I said, no, no. That's, that's right. You just don't know you that they're going to. 
Yeah. No, but as soon Absolutely. as you start speaking on this, right, sharing information, yes, people will come. Yes. In. Yes. I had a caregiver call me and I said, Well, how you got my number? She said, from my bishop. And she I said, Well, well, how that happened? She said, My bishop was talking about it on the pulpit. And mm. I was caregiving for a couple of years and I decided to come to him once I heard heard him talking about it. He had no clue. She was a no. caregiver. No. Amazing. And that's so good. And again, we just have to have the conversations because people just, I don't know what I don't know. So I don't even know where to go or where to start. I'm thinking I'm all alone in this. And this is one of the reasons why we do this podcast. We want people to know you are not alone. And that's another reason why we normally start with numbers to talk about the amazing amount of folks who are in this journey with you to let you know you are not alone. If you walk out into a crowd of people, of five people, I can assure you at least one or two are having some type of the same experience that you have, 100% of them will know someone who's having the experience. And so at this point, we are all touched by caregiving from the very young to the very old. We are yes. all touched by caregiving. We have young caregivers, 12, 13 years old, being responsible for someone giving medications, making sure they go to the bathroom, making sure they eat it affects all generations. And so we have to be able to address that. So we're going to take a short break and we're going to come back and continue this great conversation. So we'll be right back. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back. We have been speaking with Dr. Fayron Epps and learning about her research and programs to supporting family caregivers and their loved ones with dementia. And so we want to continue this conversation. I, I want to jump back on the topic of research. Can you share a little bit um, why a little bit about why it's so important that our minority communities, African Americans, engage in research? Um, I think it's so important in order for us to have treatments programs that work for us. So, you know, most of research is um made up of white people. Um, men, women. Um, and so the treatments that come out show how effective they are for them, right? And yes, we're all human beings, but I think we have to recognize that our experience here in America is a little bit different because of our skin color. And so those stressors, that we may deal with every day that other groups don't, they affect us physically, right? And so then when we're in, taking a medicine or something like that, we may not have the same response. And so it's so important that we do participate. So like the new drugs that come out, you know, they, they, they will put these new treatments out. And I always ask people find out what was the demographics of those participated in it, all right? Um, and if you don't see too many people that 
you identify with, you want to question that, you know, because you don't know how this medicine is going to, um, what kind of impact it will have on you, the side effects. So we are encouraging many to, to enroll, be participate in research, enroll in clinical trials and clinical trials, all clinical trials is not drawing your blood. Right. Or getting fluid from you. You know, there's different types of clinical trials. And the whole purpose of a clinical trial is just to compare you, compare one group against another group or two or more groups to see if it is truly effective. You know, they have these thresholds that they put in place. And so, Michelle, when I'm out in the community and we promote this, yes, I do understand the things that has happened in the past. Yes. But I do also understand the things that are currently happening. Right. So I, I'm not going to be blind because say the past was the past. No, there's things that are, are currently happening too, just right. because where we are um, not receiving uh, appropriate treatment, justice and all that stuff. So I, I, I do want to recognize that. Right. And so when I encourage uh, Black families to consider to participate in research, I say, read, ask mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and go with what you feel comfortable. That's with. right. Yeah. And and I think that's really, really, really key. Yeah. Um, and then another thing I want you to think about many times when you're in these studies, it may not have an immediate positive effect on you, but think about for your children and your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So I asked one um white man, we were sitting at the table and he was talking about all these studies he was in and he was just bragging on it. I was like, oh, this is weird. I'm just going to ask someone, why do you participate? I said, why you participate in all this research? You know what his response was to me? One sentence. What? I do it for my grandkids. Mm. So they can have things in place. Mm. they can have treatments available he said i'm at an age right now that everything i do is for them oh wow and again i do a lot of reflection and that this made me like wow yeah yeah no if you look at it like that to make things better yes for those behind you yes why not participate but at the end of the day I want everyone that's listening to me to be comfortable. Right. Be forced to be in any study, but be educated, be well informed Mm -hmm. and be comfortable to participate and know that you can withdraw, even though you sign up for a study at any given time. That's right. You are feeling uncomfortable. You're like, I don't know. (laughs) You can withdraw. So just because you give consent, does not mean you have to stay throughout the entire study. <laughs> There's also some benefits to um, participating in certain studies and clinical trials. You would have access to certain tests, diagnostic tests, that you would not have access without the study. Because many times um, managed care companies, insurances do not cover certain tests. Mm-hmm. So yes, PET scans and MRIs, people are starting to do them more often. But if you think about when I started this, I've been on this journey in this research about nine to 10 years. Way back then, they were not doing a PET scan. 
No insurance was not covering it whatsoever. Right. So you had to actually enroll in a study to get this treatment. And many of our Black families, they didn't. And so guess what? They were walking around here not diagnosed. Right. So many of the white families I work with, they were in these studies of getting PET scans. They knew what type of dementia they had. And then they could follow up with all these different Mm -hmm. treatments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was um, talking with with a family and um, the actual person who was being cared for um, was going through cancer treatment. And so um, African-American family. And she said, I was very hesitant about research. But then I said, well, what? What's the worst thing could happen? Because that the road that I'm going down, I'm down going fast quickly to death, right? And so she said, I am going to at least try this. She said she tried it, it prolonged my life, and it gave me the one thing I didn't have for a very long time was hope, right? It just gave me hope. Mm. And so sometimes we have to be able to look for alternative things in order to help us. And I do get the history. It's it's very hesitant about what we do because of our past and the passing. And like you said, what's going on right now? We're very hesitant about that. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's always the elephant in the room for African-Americans when you talk about research. We've had a, a bad history with that. We're still dealing with some things. Um, but again, it's your intuition, what you feel is right or not. And at any time you can say no, right? Anytime you can say no in order to move forward. And so um, I think that's great. And I hope that our listeners will consider consider the opportunities it may give you and your loved one just to even look at research. And the things we're talking about right now do not involve blood tests and medication. These are just habits, learning habits and how it could potentially impact you positively. So different types of studies do different things. Everything is not invasive. And so we can just probably look at opportunities. Um, Start there with things that are not invasive that you may want to get involved in. Yep. Start with Caregiving While Black. So (laughs) Caregiving While Black is a study. It's actually a clinical trial. So it's the perfect example of what Michelle just said, that it's not invasive. It's actually education. And we comparing it to those who maybe not that don't do not get education. That's a, that's a great example of a non-invasive clinical trial. Right. And so, um, Dr. Epps, can you give us two actions that you recommend our family caregivers take immediately after listening to the podcast? Oh, two, <laughs> two actions. I know <laughs> no, the, first, hard. Uh, the, the first action I have to tell you all. Um, is speak up. Mm-hmm. Um, and within that speaking up, that would be the broad umbrella and maybe it'd be two things underneath that, right? And so under speaking up, it is, we no longer can be silent. And so share your your story, your journey with others. Yes. You may receive, you. they may have tips for you. You'll be surprised, Right. Or they may be there to help and support you, help provide respite. Many times we just want to keep it all here in the house. You know, oh, Dr. Epps, I'm going to call you once I got it all together. Don't call me then. Right. You You know, I had a classmate tell me that. And I'm like, I'm here to help you. But many times we feel we have to do this. Right. No. So speak up, share. Mm -hmm. So you can get that support. The next one under speak up is I want you all to be advocates. 
be empowered and be advocates. And you can be advocates at different levels, right? But particularly when you're going to the, the doctor, be an advocate mm -hmm. for yourself and also for the person that you're caring for. Be empowered to speak up and right. say what you need. Don't just be like, yes, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm, yeah. No, if you don't understand it, say, I don't understand. What, why is this going to help me or help my family member? So we want to speak up. Speak up. Be advocates to get to help get these services and support. Right. Absolutely. So Absolutely. call, say you need this. You learned about this. You, right. you want this information. How can I get it? Right. And so right. those are the things. So, you know, I think the big thing is after this, speak up. Say what's on your mind. Stop keeping this as a secret. Mm. But then the family, this does not speak to who you are, who your family is. Mm -hmm. This does not speak to this. This this happens to everybody. That's right. Um, especially, you know, I'm in the field of dementia. Dementia does not discriminate. That's right. And it's not put on you because of something that your family did. Right. It does not give you a label of who you are, right? Yes. It's just a part of this journey, right? It, it is. It's not, it's not a label. Yeah. It's, just, it, it's a part of our journey here. And when you talk about speak up and sharing, and just one quick example, I was talking with a family member and she talked about having to take off in the morning and at evening to go drop her mom off at daycare and pick her up. And so I said, well, why not use FMLA? And she said, um, well, because I don't need 12 weeks, you don't have to use 12 weeks. You can use intermittent FMLA, right? So we would have never had that conversation had she not even, I mean, just small conversations you have can sometimes make a huge impact in your life. So now she knows that I don't have to worry about losing my job. I can use it here and there and still protect my employment. And so those are the reasons why we need to share. You never know what that next person may have a tidbit to help you kind of move forward. Okay. And so Dr. Epps, can you share websites or social media etc. that you recommend that caregivers listen and follow to kind of help with their journey. But I just want to tell people that um, AARP has great resources. Um, prepare to care is what we um, encourage all of our caregivers to um, go to their website, download it, or if you're able to get a book, it just help you as you start on this journey. And even if you're not on this journey, it helps you put things in place. Right just in case. Yeah. Um, so I really um, promote AARP. Of course, if you're on this dementia journey, um, there's Alzheimer's Association, there's uh, Lewy Body Association, there's the Association of Frontal Temporal Dementia. So um, one of the things many families say, oh, I didn't know they had an association for that. They have an association <laughs> for various types of dementia where you can get additional resources mm -hmm. and education. Mm -hmm. um, I actually recently found out about this new resource. Michelle, okay. you may not know about this. It's called the PAN Foundation. Mm. P-A-N foundation.org. Okay. okay. And they actually give grants to families. Awesome. And so you will plug in your chronic illness and so right now they don't have dementia as one, but they have like type two diabetes. They have different other um, types of hypertension that's available. You plug that in 
And they, you say what it is, what's going on, what bills you may not can meet, what co-pays, and they will provide you. So they give one a thousand to twenty-seven thousand dollars. They have given to families. Wow. They also provide grants for transportation. Wonderful. So awesome. Please, I'm working with them to get this out. Um, so more family caregivers can access this because they're saying nobody's using this. I said, oh, wait, you got money. Oh, I know. That's right. Oh, so we oh, will wow. begin let to share these, that. Absolutely. Yes, let me get these families um, into this. And then also, if you have a faith community that, that you may want them to partner with me or learn more, they can go to alterdementia.com, which is A-L-T-E-R dementia.com. Um, and then also, uh, for the Caregiving While Black, you can give us a call at 678-723-8188, 678-723-8188. And that is also a text-friendly number, so you don't have to call. You can just text me with um, any questions or if you are interested in Caregiving While Black. Wonderful. What great information. Thank you so much, Dr. Epps, for this for the amazing work that you are doing to support family caregivers and just changing the way that we support those who are caring for those with dementia. Um, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I look forward to um, hearing from those caregivers that listen in and, and continuing to support you, Michelle. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is the Empowerment Hour brought to you by Call for Caring, Inc. And again, our organization supports caregivers through resources like today's podcast, our expo, courses, and grants as well. You can find more information about our upcoming events, our training classes, care grants, and other programs at callforcaring.org. Today's episode can be heard on uptomeradio.com or your favorite podcast platform. And also, you can review some of our earlier episodes um, and expo events at our Call for, Caring dot, Call for Caring Inc. YouTube channel. So we hope today's episode of Empowerment Hour has met our goal to educate, elevate, and empower caregivers during their caregiver journey. Thank you.